from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, a Pardes alum. This week, Akev. This week, Rabbi Howard Marcos discusses Akev. Rabbi Marcos has prepared a handout sheet that you are invited to print out and use to follow along with his podcast. Rabbi Howard Marcos is a member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Rabbi Howard Marcos. During recess, a judge was once offered a $10,000 bribe in hopes of securing a favorable decision in a case. Interestingly, the judge was willing to take the bribe. Word quickly got out that this judge might be swayed by a bit of palm greasing. So the next day, the opposing lawyer offered the judge $15,000, confidently expecting the verdict to to be decided in her client's favor. The judge readily, readily accepted the money. The next day, the judge opened with a short speech before the resumption of the trial. He announced, Because both sides have offered me money intending to influence my decision, I have no choice but to render a verdict solely based on the merits of the case. We all realize, I think, that offering a bribe is counterintuitive to one who wishes to live in a just and fair society. And if we can agree on this, might we also be able to say how much more questionable it is for us to try to try to bribe the divine creator of heaven and earth? Allow me, please, to illustrate my point. A rabbi was once asked to perform a wedding at the home of one of the prominent members of his synagogue on a summer morning in August. He recalled, I came early while they were setting up the chuppah. It had to be an outdoor wedding as the house was too small to accommodate the hundreds of people who had been invited to this joyous simcha. An hour before the ceremony was to begin, dark clouds began to fill the sky, and it looked like it would rain at any minute. The mother of the bride said to one of the bridesmaids, Go to my pocketbook in my bedroom, take a $20 bill out of my wallet, and put it in the tzedakah box. The bridesmaid dutifully did as she was told. Later. Just 15 minutes before the wedding was to begin, when things still looked bleak outside, but the skies had yet to bring any rain, the nervous mother dropped another $20 into the pushka. Within the next 10 minutes, the clouds had cleared, the sun was shining, and it became perfect weather for a wedding, as perfect as anyone might have hoped for. And there is no way that you will ever be able to convince the mother of the bride that her $40, which went into the tzedakah box, didn't do the trick. So I ask you, what's the problem? What harm has been done? After all, there's certainly nothing wrong with putting money towards worthwhile causes at opportune moments, is there? No one got hurt, right? The difficulty, as I see it, is the precedent that has been subconsciously set by this woman. What will happen in the future? Will God respond so graciously the next time or the time after that? In Parshat Ekev, this week's segment of the farewell speech that comprises all of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, we are warned by Moshe in chapter 10 of Devarim, verse 17, that, Ki Adonai Eloheichem, Hu Eloheha Elohim, Vadoneha Adonim, Ha'el ha'gadol ha'gibor v'hanora, asher lo yisafanim v'lo yikach shochad. The Lord your God is God supreme and Lord of all lords, the great, 
the mighty and the awesome God who shows no favor and takes no bribe. Velo yikach shochad. Of course God doesn't take bribes. What an absurd statement to have to be made in the Torah. In fact, I checked and found that this is the only verse in the entire Tanakh which links bribery and the divine. How could someone buy off the divine? With what? And what kind of being would God be if God could be bought? Who would ever, ever consider such a preposterous notion? And yet that is exactly what was happening at the aforementioned wedding. The mother thought that she could influence divine behavior by way of an extra donation to tzedakah. My friends, it would be easy to be with the mother of the bride when matters seemed to be going her way. But it would be so much more difficult to be present when the magic, the superstition, I don't know, it didn't seem like religion to me, when the superstition stops working. It would be hard to try and explain things when, God forbid, a parent or child would fall ill and she would load up the pushka and the results didn't end up come, end up in her favor. And inevitably, this unwelcome outcome is bound to occur, maybe not right away, but at some time in the future. Could anyone share with her their opinion about the potential futility of her actions? We could imagine that she might answer something like this. I know intellectually that God doesn't take bribes, but emotionally, in my gut, I feel differently about this. Many of us think or feel this way, do we not? And why take a chance? After all, it couldn't hurt, right? In our heads, we might believe that acts such as going to shul, keeping kosher, or fasting on Yom Kippur, just to name a few popular or semi-popular mitzvot, are designed to keep us healthy and to save us from disaster. And when the pressure is on, and we are either anticipating a crisis or on, are in the midst of one, a special prayer, an extra trip to the synagogue, or a few dollars to tzedakah are turned to as ways to hedge our bets, as it were. Sometimes we are lucky and we get what we prayed or paid for. I would suggest to you, however, that this is a precarious theology at best. There's a midrash which teaches us, Ein mitzvah mechaba avera. There is no mitzvah that can extinguish a transgression. If we have erred, Judaism teaches us that a major avenue to repentance is to increase our observance of the mitzvot. Nevertheless, the Midrash warns us, doing those mitzvot does not cancel out the sin. That awareness of the continued existence of our wrongdoing can serve as a guide, outlining what we need to do to, what we need to do to avoid sinning in the future. The mitzvot are there to lead us in a path of morality and discipline bringing us closer to the divine desiderata, quite wonderfully put in Parshat Ekev in our parasha, chapter 10, verse 12. Ve'ata Yisrael, ma Adonai Elohecha sho'el me'imach, ki im li'ir'ah et Adonai Elohecha, lalechet bechol derachav, ula'ahava oto, ve'la'avod et Adonai Elohecha bechol levavcha uvechol nafshecha, 
לשמור את מצוות אדוני ואת חוקותיו, אשר אנוכים בצווך היום, לטוב לך. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all God's ways, to love God and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your being, to keep the Lord's commands and the Lord's statutes that I charge you today for your own good. We best not be Jews who do the mitzvot as a way of bribing the divine, not only because the Torah says that we shouldn't, but also because when a big disappointment does visit us, we will have nowhere to turn. We, have, we will have little to fall back on to gain the spiritual support that we desperately need at times of crisis. Instead, we pray so that we will hopefully keep communication, communication channels open with the divine, deriving strength from the words of the prayers themselves, providing for ourselves at least a modicum of hope, renewed confidence, and insight as we meet challenges head on. We observe our traditions because they offer us beautiful individual and communal, communal experiences in our lives, moments to share and enjoy and recall with loved ones. And we give tzedakah, a word with the Hebrew word root tzadi dalit kuf, which means right or righteous, precisely because it is the right thing to do. And we traditionally give more at special times in our lives, whether in celebration or in pain, not to hold back the rain, but rather to bring home the importance of reaching out to others as a way of sharing, something many of us learned in kindergarten. We have all experienced disappointment in our lives. I would be willing to bet on that. We have had to confront sadness and tragedy because that is indeed an integral part of life. So let's remind ourselves at those tough times, we can't always control pain, but we can exercise control over our suffering. There are those who thought that they had bought the insurance package through tzedakah and prayer and ritual observance. They thought that they were all paid up, only to find out that the bribe didn't work and they never forgave God for not living up to God's hell half of the deal. Over and over again in Parashat Ekev, there are promises of wonderful things that will befall a people that is loyal to the divine and is willing to follow God's ways. And ensconced in these same chapters, we are told that there will occur tragedies of all kinds, wars, exiles, famine, and of course, pandemics. There will be people impoverished and stricken with illness, not because they are bad people who deserve punishment, but because some of that which happens in the course of life is tragic. We have all been around long enough to know that bad things do happen to good people and that people who do well are not always good. The righteous do suffer and the evil have been known to prosper. It is hoped that we would be sophisticated enough despite the games that we sometimes play or the superstitions we sometimes rely on to know that God simply does not take bribes and that we need to find other ways of addressing the many challenges that we face. We can only do our best as we try to understand what is expected of us, knowing that we are neither buying insurance 
nor bribing our way into a better place in this world or even the next. But instead, we are striving to be better human beings, better Jews, better parents and children, better temporary tenants on this earth. To do our best to fulfill the expectations which are called mitzvot, not for guaranteed returns, not as an offer of a bribe, but for the satisfaction inherent in the knowledge that we have done our part to work to improve our lives and the lives of those around us, is to remain a loyal member of our community during times of difficulty, as well as during times of our greatest joys and successes. The prophet Micah, who I believed had access to this very profound teaching found in our book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, said it best, I think. Chapter 6, verse 8. Higid lecha adam, ma tov, uma Adonai doresh mimcha, ki im asot mishpat, ve'ahavad chesed, ve'hatsnea lechet im elohecha. He has told you, O mortal, what the Lord demands of you, only doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with your God. Abravanel, 15th century Portuguese Bible commentator, astutely interprets this triad as a graded series of obligations. Do justice. Ensure the foundation of civil and criminal law. Perform deeds of loving kindness. Undertake actions done in the spirit of the law, going beyond its formal, minimal demands. And show humility, the inwardness of true piety hidden from the world at large, acknowledging that there is much beyond our capability of understanding in this world. A tall order to be sure, but one that is worth striving for, I believe, by each of us all the days of our lives. Thank you, Rabbi Marcos. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Thank you.